Have you ever wondered why people choose to migrate? Well, let's explore that question today. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Community Strangers. It's been uh, two weeks since I last recorded an episode for the podcast. I always uh, try to have an episode ready every week, like you know, once every seven days. Um, but uh, it's it's I've been a little busy this past couple of weeks. I didn't really make the time. Um, but I've been wanting to talk about this um, this uh, topic for for quite some time. And um, this additional week has given me the chance to read a little bit more about it and learn a little bit more uh, about, um, you know, the reason why people choose to move from one place to another. And I've been able to find uh, a few um, cool facts, a few interesting facts. Uh, so let, let's talk about it. Um, you know, why, why do people choose to, to move, to choose to migrate? And um, there are uh, two factors that we're going to... Uh, explore the push and pull factors. So what's a push factor? Um, a push factor induces people to move out of their present location, right? Whereas a pull factor induces people to move into a new location. And um, so there are mainly three reasons why people move, why people migrate. And, and these three reasons have to do with a, either a push or a pull factor. Um, there is, uh, you know, there are economic reasons, there are uh, cultural reasons, and environmental reasons. So mainly, mainly people move because of these three reasons. Now, um, economic reasons, let's talk about that. Um, you know, people tend to leave places where there are few job opportunities, and they go to places where jobs seem to be available. You know, that's that's usually the main uh, drive for, for people that move out. The economic reasons. For example, the USA and Canada have been uh, prominent destinations for economic migrants. Um, for example, um, the Italians um, that arrived in the USA in the late... Um, and in the late 1900s, excuse me, the late 1800s and early 1900s, um, you know, they came here mainly for economic reasons. Um, now, the pilgrims, it's another example. We've heard many times that the pilgrims came here for uh, religious reasons. And that's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. The pilgrims first moved out of England and went to Holland. And, uh, and they found religious freedom there. You know, most of the, the pilgrims were uh, farmers in England. And, and, but when they went to, to Holland, they made their living in the cloth trade. And when the wool market crashed there, the pilgrims were desperate to find another place with better, um, you know, uh, economic opportunities. And that's when they looked toward the, you know, the new world, told the Americas. And, and when they, you know, when they came here to the Americas, yes, they, they all obviously had the desire to have this religious freedom, but, but they had already found that religious freedom in Holland. They could have stayed there and, 
you know, they could have enjoyed that religious freedom there. However, they, you know, they came back to the U. They came to the U.S. to to what is now known as the U.S. because there was an economic motivation to better their lives and the lives of their children. Um, you know, so that's you know that's one example of an of an economic um, uh, reason to 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 move. Um, another reason is a cultural reason. So, for this, think of think of people that are forced to leave. That's that's a push factor, right? Someone who cannot stay in their country of origin, they're forced, and and they're forced for either um, uh, political instability or uh, due to slavery. And you know, you you, you know that um, this part of the story, um, millions of Africans were shipped as slaves to the Western Hemisphere. Um, so that was that was a forced uh, migration, right? Um, then another forced migration, uh, for example, we if we go back in history, it would be um, the um, the Jews, for example. They were expelled from their homeland and scattered around the world. It was first the Assyrian exile, then the Babylonian captivity, then the Jewish-Roman War, which... You know, culminated with the destruction of Jerusalem and, and their temple, and eventually they were just scattered around the world. Um, and um, you know, that's that's another that that's another a reason when there is this political instability um, where people are forced uh, to leave their their homelands. Um, now, most of these people that that leave their homelands for political instability, they become refugees. Uh, nowadays, if you think of uh, of the word refugee, you may you may think of the uh, Syrian refugees, right? Because they're going through a civil war, um, right? They 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 would love to stay in their country, but the situation is so dire that you know they have no option but to to move to a safer place. For them and for their families. Um, now, um, r- refugees uh, leave, or you know, and, and and cannot return to their home countries because they fear for their lives. They fear persecution. Um, sometimes these refugees move out of their homelands because um, they're, you know, they're persecuted because of their race or their religion. Uh, or because they're members of a social group or members of a political group, um, so so a political condition uh, can be um, can be a push factor. Now, a political condition can also be a pull factor. Um, for example, people uh, left um, communist governments in Eastern Europe after uh, World War II and went to more democratic nations in Western Europe and in North America. So they, they saw that, their, that the political conditions in the Western Hemisphere was better than the political conditions they were in in, in Eastern Europe. So they, they felt pulled to move into, uh, you know, into the Western Hemisphere. So um, another, another reason uh, why people move is the environmental reasons. And, and and you know think of uh, people that that feel feel um, in a way physically uh, attracted to locations or or they feel pushed from locations that, that they they think are are dangerous or hazardous 
Um, to give you an example of that, um, the um, you know the, Florida, the cost uh, of Florida, uh, it attracts immigrants, um, especially people that uh, uh, are retiring. You know, retirees who would rather be be in uh, you know in in a warm weather who would rather enjoy swimming and being on the beach, that's a pull factor, right? They, they feel that, that there is a better uh, place for them to enjoy the, their, uh, you know, retirement. Um, or there's people also who rather be in the Rocky Mountains. You know, maybe they love hiking or they just love the snow and they, they um, see the Rocky Mountains as places where there isn't much pollution so that's a pull factor a pull environmental factor um or another reason is within the the environmental uh umbrella um you know if there's a severe drought or there are floods in an area that will push people away from that place and they will look for uh you know for new places to live now when people migrate how far do they usually go well, it turns out that most migrants relocate a short distance and remain within the same country. Um, you know, the farther away a place is located, the less likely that people will migrate to it. Um, and, and we need to uh, uh, consider that when people move within the same country, it is a less tra traumatic experience because chances are um, they... Um, when they stay in the same country, it's the same culture, it's the same language, the same food. So they don't have to adjust as much. Um, so just we need to keep that in mind. Most migrants relocate a short distance. Um, but, you know, some, some other migrants will uh, look for places that are far away from home. Migrants um, don't always arrive at their desired destinations. Uh, and why is that? Because they, there may be obstacles uh, in their way. Um, for example, uh, an ocean can be an obstacle, and you know, and and it was for um, the first immigrants to the new world. Mountains can be another obstacle. They're hard to cross. You know, people that move from the east to the west towards um, California, for example, they had to cross the mountains. Not many people made it. Um, and, uh, you know, a desert is another example of an obstacle. Uh, so when people migrate, they, and, and especially when they go, um, lar they, when they move a large distance, um, it, it may be that there is an obstacle that will prevent them from arriving to, to their desired destination. Uh, nowadays, there, you know, these obstacles, these physical obstacles are overcome by just, taking a flight, for example. Um, uh, however, there are uh, modern obstacles that, that migrants have to face. Um, to give an example, uh, in order to move from one country to another, you have to have a passport. So if you want to leave your country, you need to have a passport. And, um, you know, to get a passport, it, it costs time, it costs money. So not everybody is able to to um, get a passport um, and of those who do get a passport then um, if they want to enter a country normally they would need to have a visa right and and then a visa requires also that they have the money to pay for it they have to go to an interview um, and, and so that is another obstacle so the immigrants of the 19th and 20th century had their obstacles 
mainly physical obstacles like oceans, and the immigrants of the 21st century have other obstacles like passports and visas to arrive um, to, to a country. And um, with, with international migration, um, it's usually the case that the first wave of international migrants um, are male. They usually tend to be male. Why is that? Um, because usually the males are the you know the the, the men are the ones that come uh, first to look for a job. Because remember, uh, economy it's usually the main reason why people move. And um, you know the male migrants tend to be the the providers, and they're more likely to be employed. So it is only logical that usually the first wave of international migrants. Um, you know, will be male, and that is that was true in um, the uh, 19th and, and 20th century, and that is uh, true of the 21st century too. Although this statistic has been changing, um, according to data from the UN, um, uh, gender trends started reversed at the end of the 20th century and in the 21st century. Um, you know, women constituted about. 55% of U.S. immigration in the 21st century. Um, according to, to U.N. numbers as well, there were about 272 million international migrants. That's uh, about 3.5% of the world population. At the regional level in 2019, uh, all, of this, all of these numbers are from the U.N., so in 2019, at the regional level, uh, Europe uh, hosted the largest number of international migrants, 82 million. And they were followed by North America with 59 million immigrants and, and Northern Africa and Western Asia with 49 million immigrants. Now, um, that is at the regional level. If we look at the country level, about half of all international migrants reside in just 10 countries. Being the United States, the uh, country that hosts the largest number of international migrants, 51 million. Um, and uh, the next are uh, Germany and Saudi Arabia. They host the second and third largest numbers of migrants, 13 million each. They're followed by the Russian Federation, which is 12 million uh, migrants. The United, the United Kingdom with 10 million the United Arab Emirates with 9 million, France and Canada and Australia um, with around 8 million uh, immigrants each, Italy uh, with 6 million immigrants. This is at the country level. As you can see, um, immigration is a phenomenon that has happened for centuries, actually for millennia. Uh, people have always moved to find better places to live, to find a place uh, to worship as as, um, as they feel, the way they want. Um, so it's it's always happened. And, you know, nowadays it's still a phenomenon. It's still happening. Now, um, you may have um, heard people say, for example, um, why don't these migrants stay in their home countries to fix whatever problems they have? Why don't they stay there to help make their home country better? And it's a fair question, right? Why do people not stay in their home countries? 
Um, the other day, an Argentinian acquaintance uh, told me, um, you know, he said, I'd rather stay in my country to help it improve. And I think that's a fair desire. That's a fair aspiration. However, his statement is rather ironic, given that Argentina is one of the countries in South America that received millions of European immigrants, about 6.4 million immigrants. Uh, and this happened uh, during the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Why do so many European immigrants arrive in, in Argentina? Well, because their political leaders had this policy Uh, this blanqueamiento policy, which basically meant that they wanted to whiten the country. Um, they felt that the, the native peoples of um, the land were not as developed. And that was the reason the country wasn't as developed. So they encouraged European immigrants to come. But it wasn't the only country that did that. You know, um, other, other South American countries, most of the, of the Latin American countries had this similar policy, um, but it happened a lot in Argentina, it happened a lot in Brazil and uh, Uruguay, um, and, you know, it, and, and I find it ironic because, uh, you know, this, this guy's ancestors did not stay in their home countries to make their home countries better in Europe. They did not. They decided to emigrate from Europe and they arrived in places like Argentina, like Uruguay, like Brazil. Um, And why? Because they were looking uh, for better places to live. They, they were looking for an opportunity to forge a better life for themselves, a better life for their children. You know, they were looking for better opportunities. Um, and if you um, live in the USA, if you've ever complained about, you know, the political um, environment, or if you've ever complained about, I don't know, an economic situation, um, then you may have heard people say, well, if you don't like it here, why don't you leave? Have you, have you heard that? Uh, and, and, but it cannot be the two of them, right? People will tell you, if you don't like it here, leave. But when those people leave to find a better place, then they hear, why didn't you stay in your home country to fix it? Which one is it? Do we stay to fix it? Do we stay in, in our home countries to fix it? Do we move if we don't like it? There's always been some pushback to immigrants everywhere in the world. The USA is no different. You know, there's always there's also pushback to immigrants who arrive in the USA. Um, people in the USA used to say that immigrants would change the American way of life, that immigrants would lower wages for the native-born that immigrants who don't speak English won't assimilate, and they asked for stricter immigration laws. And towards the end of the uh, 19th century, um, there were immigration laws that were enacted. Um, for example, we have the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 uh, and the Immigration Act of 1882. Um, you know, those two are some of the laws that were enacted. In response to the anti-immigration sentiment that began to uh, rise in the United States. Nowadays, um, we are also going through a time where um, immigration is, is a hot topic um, and is, uh, it's a priority for the Trump administration. Currently, the 
acting di director for the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Uh, his name is uh, Kenneth Thomas Cuccinelli II. He has become the public face of um, the Trump administration's immigration policies, and he's a hardliner in immigration. We'll talk more about him uh, on the next episode, and we will explore his uh, roots, where his ancestors come from, um, and whether his current stance on immigration would would have affected his um, ancestors had um, they lived in this era. Well, this is it for this uh, this uh, episode. Until next time. Bye.